joined by Andy Singer. Hey, Jay. Hey, everybody out there. How's it going? Yeah, long time no podcast. Yeah, it's it's been a bit. Life gets in the way occasionally, but it's good to be back. Yeah, you know, it's good to be back, and you know, it's good to you know, good to play about fifty games. Um, that's going to be interesting. Uh, we are going to briefly talk about current events, and then we're going to do something completely different. We're going to discuss the 2015 uh, top Yankees prospects. Uh, but we got we got a counter proposal today. So uh, since the last episode, there's been some back and forth. Uh, the, the the players offered to play a 114 game season at their prorated salaries uh, and offered to defer a little bit of money. The owners uh, counteroffered today, uh, according to Jeff Passan, or or they're about to deliver a counteroffer uh, that they will be would be willing to play a pro a prorated salary. That is, pay the same per game rate that they uh, they agreed to pay in the player contracts prior to the season, but. They would like uh, to do it only with a shortened 50-game season and then conceivably uh, a playoff after that. That's a 50-game season. We're not really sure when it would start. There aren't really any more details. Um, but this is notable because it is the first uh, first time the owners have conceded that they would like to pay. They will pay the, those same salaries, and that is important to the players, both financially and as a face-saving measure. Uh, so Andy, what what is your reaction to this? Uh, this I, I told you that I told Andy this news about fifteen minutes ago because he's been you know dil- diligently working. Um, so so Andy, what is the what what is your reaction? Well, my first reaction was uh, uh, the first reaction is actually shock because I really didn't think that the owners were ever going to come around on prorated salaries without a few more counter offers going back and forth. However. Uh, I'm impressed we got to that point. And my second reaction is, am I allowed to write the word small sample size the rest of the season if there were actually 50 games? I mean, think about, I mean, we were all talking about, I remember talking with uh, Dr. Paul Semendinger last week. He and I were chatting for offline and we, we said to each other, could somebody hit 400 in an 82 to 100 10 game season because you know there is some 100 percent oh yeah because there's precedence for it so in I mean, a 50 like a game season ago. what are we gonna see what what could I mean, we well, see well, in a 50 game season when was cody bellinger hitting 400 i've uh, so that's uh, that was one of the things i wanted to look up and i don't have it on hand i i seem to remember that he was doing that a good 60 games into the season 60 70 games yeah, and, and if he wasn't there, he was very close to it. I think he ended up batting about 350 on the season. He wasn't so great in the second half. Um, but, yeah, I, I, those weird outlier things are going to happen. I mean, even the 94 season, if you look at it, has some major outlier performances because it was, a, I think, what, 120 games in 1994. So it wasn't it wasn't that that short, and, and this is 50. Um, I want to – I, I was at first a little bit concerned about what a 50-game season would do to um, just due to the the standings, right? That that all of a sudden you 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 have a problem that the best teams don't make the playoffs. You get a lot of kind of weird things going on, uh, and so I, I just looked up the standings on May 20th, 2019. So May 20th of last year. Um, that is about 50 games into the season. Um, some of these play teams played uh, a little less than 50 games, a little more than 50 games. We're, we're, we're kind of close. Um, it's actually a little bit less than 50 games looking at right now. Um, so I'm actually going to increase that to May 30th, live on air. Uh, and and uh, we'll see what, what were the standings like after the end of May. In the American League East, the Yankees were in first place, uh, although they were very closely trailed by the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, the Boston Red Sox were in third place. I believe these are the, these were the exact standings that the, the, that uh, 
the, the season finished on. Uh, in the AL Central, Minnesota was in first place. They also uh, ended up winning the division. Cleveland was in second place at 500, uh, also uh, about where they ended up. Uh, in the American League West, the Houston Astros were in first place. The Oakland Athletics were in second place. Um, and, and I'll go quicker. In the NL East, the Phillies were in first place. That's a weird one. The Nationals were in fourth place, your eventual World Series winner. Uh, the, the Cubs were in first place of the NL Central, though they were only a half a game ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, and the Dodgers were easily in first place in the NL West, as they were pretty much all season. So, like, that's not too bad. Like, that almost gets you to the playoffs last year, exactly, almost, except for the NL East, almost exactly the teams that represented the American League uh, last year. That's really funny. I didn't realize that it stabilized that quickly across the league last year. Yeah, and you know, last year felt like a competitive year in a lot of divisions. Uh, I think a lot of that's the NL East um, I, you know, and, and the and the NL Central. Both were just incredibly competitive divisions. Um, you know, I, there's a little bit of move between Boston and and, and Cleveland in, in in the standings here, but yeah, I mean, I'm um, maybe that's just an exceptional year. Maybe if we did this for a couple of years back, we would see it be a little you know a little noisier. Um, but it does look like 50 games is enough to to determine who the best teams are. Um, but how would that work? Let's 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 say the players come back and they come to some agreement for 50 or 60 uh, 60 games. Do you, do you think it would just be what play everybody in your division? Uh, I think you'd kind of have to. I mean, how else do you put together a, a season without playing two game series? Uh, because uh, to find any kind of balance, just off the top of my head mathematically, I don't really see how you'd do it. So you kind of have to play within the division. But even at that, what is a playoff? What is a playoff type tournament? Let's call it. Because after fifty games, all that all you're really going to have is some kind of large format tournament at the backside yeah. of it. So, so conceivably, there's an expanded playoffs in here. Um. Which kind of makes sense math-wise, right? So if the owners are going to lose a lot of money per game by playing prorated salaries, uh, the players essentially play for free in the playoffs. And so the players are, uh, by, by having more of the season as, as the playoffs, the owners get a little bit, get a, get a little bit of their money back. Um, I mean, would you do, if this were the case, how would you structure your playoffs? That's a tough one, I think. Would you just add another round? Yeah, I think you have to. Uh, at the at the very least, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not necessarily a fan of expanded playoffs in general when we have larger sample sizes. But when we're talking about a small sample size like this, I think you can get rid of some of the noise by expanding it. So adding another round is okay by me. I think if you had, I mean, if you took out of each division, if we took the AL East and the the AL East, for instance, if you took the top two teams in each division and then added wild cards on top of that, that pretty much gets you to an extra round. That makes sense to me. I think um, I think if you play a normal regular season, I don't think there's really much of a choice, right? If you know you have some maybe some version of a buy round, like whatever, like everybody knows how to structure an, an athletic tournament, but I, I think. If I'm if, if if this is really a fifty or sixty game season, and if I had my bets, I'd say we're still ending up at an eighty-two game season because you can do the math and how much time is left on the calendar and realize that you can get a pretty normal eighty-two game season in if you uh, if you kind of get things moving pretty soon. Um, 
but I think if I'm going for that short of a season, like I want some sort of like crazy round robin play in system. Uh, you know, where the purpose is is to seed seed the playoffs, maybe uh, an East versus West kind 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 of deal instead of an American League versus versus a National League. And you know, every every team plays every other team uh, four games. Um, so you, uh, two games at each home park, or 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 some play, or, or just four games in you know in, in total, and um, and then you you see you see the American League, you take the top eight teams from from both leagues, and you start a, you start a, a, a playoff. And I think that's actually kind of I wouldn't be shocked if that's kind of like one of the underlying things. We haven't seen the the offer like in its entirety yet, um, but. 60 games, if we if you started July 4th, let's say, you can get to 60 games by mid-September easy, like without even really compressing the off days, without doing double headers, which yep. means that you could have a really long playoff. You could have, you know, uh, you know an, uh, an extra two rounds in the playoffs. Well, I think this also hits at another interesting point. So you've got 60 games, right? So let's call it 50 to 60 games, something in that swing. If you start around July 4th, and you compress the schedule, this hits at one of the major points that the owners were supposedly concerned about, which was that there could be a second wave of COVID-19 in the fall once people are back indoors, Mm -hmm. and they might lose whatever revenues they would normally gain gain from the playoffs. On the flip side, I tend to look at things from the player's perspective when it comes to battles between ownership and labor, so I'm, I'm biased in that sense. But the but when you look at it from that perspective, from the perspective you just talked about, now we maybe we don't have the same injury concerns that we were talking about just a, yeah. a week ago because players are on a more normal schedule. And maybe we can or a build pitchers. Schedule. Yeah, exactly. Think about the number of pitching injuries that I think we could reasonably expect in a compressed schedule, particularly given the fact that guys are going to show up in different levels of shape for whatever spring training quote unquote occurs what, what players we'll just use the Yankee roster as a as a guide what players do you think um, not in terms of the short schedule in terms of like random chance but like what players do you think will have a better season than you expect given a, if it's a short season and and you know it, let's say it starts July 4th I have some thoughts on this so I think Gary Sanchez is is at the top of my yeah. list so Catcher, one of the catchers in general Yep, because the the lack of wear and tear is real. For so when we started talking about this, I went to last year and I looked at what was Gary Sanchez from the start of the season to May thirty first. Gary Sanchez had a nine seventy nine OPS before his legs Ooh. wore down. Oh, oh. And I, to be honest with you, in a short, in a small sample size, in a short season where he's rested properly and he doesn't get banged up, I think that's a hundred percent realistic. I agree, you know, and I think um, I think old players is the other one, right? I think Brett Gardner is is poised mm. to have a good season as a result of this. DJ LeMayu, who is who is sneaky old, um, I think will will benefit from um, from this. Um, obviously, the the injured players coming back, I think will will benefit. I'm split on whether or not starting pitchers will benefit. I think relief pitchers certainly will. There's no way they can't. Um, in my mind, but starting pitchers, I'm, I'm not sure. Do you think Tanaka has a really good season or or Jay Happ? I mean. It's possible, but I don't think that a shorter season is actually going to change their preparation much unless the Yankees as a team. So part of this for me for starting pitchers, how big will the roster sizes be? How many extra pitchers are going to be on the roster? Because if 
all of a sudden you have some of the prospects the Yankees have in the upper minors, like say Davey Garcia and Clark Schmidt, available to tandem start for two or three innings where they only have to get through a lineup once, then maybe Tanaka goes all out for four, say four innings. And I think in that scenario, some of the starters could have big seasons. Otherwise, on standard schedules, I, I really don't see too much volatility there. And because there's no AAA playing, like those taxi squad scenarios become not just more plausible, but I think like 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 that's that's the logical way to play out play out your game, um, you know, under these circumstances. Because you know normally you 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 might be able to like kind of configure a way in your roster that you can get DV Garcia to pitch three innings every seven days, but there's just no there's no point to it because you want him down at AAA. But now you actually kind of want him pitching. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think that could be really interesting, and, and you could see kind of I think the, the starters that normally go shorter outings, um, so you know Tanaka, Hap, etc., really really benefit from um, from that setup. Well, how about Paxton with his back? I mean, he's coming back from a major back injury. Well, I That's mean, a- all the injured players just got a reprieve, right? Like Aaron Hicks is going to play a full season. James Paxton is going to play a full season, at least in, in competitive terms. I mean, I'll tell you the one thought I, I I just had just recently. I forget. I think I was reading an MLB trade rumors post on the Angels. Is this is just another season that Mike Trout's not going to get a, get to play a full season? Like another chance for him to put up ten wins, shortened by some dumb injury or or whatever, and and we're losing another great year of Mike Trout's career. I just got really sad when you said yeah. that. That that's unfortunate. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, but um, he can still win the MVP award. Damn it. Um, we're gonna keep an eye on this. I think this is really interesting. I think I am on a on a scale of hopeless to certain. There's going to be a season. Where were you this morning, and where were you after I told you the news today? This morning, I was l- worse than 50-50 on there being a season. Uh, I was I was starting to feel very pessimistic. But now now that the owners have already thrown out that they're willing to play pay poor, prorated salaries for some quantity of games, I feel a lot better that a season's going to happen eventually. I agree. I, I think that that it to me is the was the biggest like hurdle to get over is the owners saying like we don't want to take a per game loss because we're paying the salaries that um, that were before the the pandemic hit. Uh, I think the I think the the one problem with the fifty or sixty game season is I'm wondering if the players go like you know it's just not worth it like it's not worth it going to training camp for four weeks to you know to you know, um, you know upend all of our families to live in isolation. For you know, for fifty games of baseball, I mean, I, I hope they don't, and, I, and I, I don't, I don't think they will. Frankly, I think it seems like the players also kind of want to get playing, um, but uh, that that could be like a logistical problem with a shortened season, and, and maybe that's why they're they're proposing one hundred fourteen games. Yep. Well, I kind of worry about the players, international players, Tanaka being yeah. one of them, who went back to Japan in the middle at the height of the pandemic at least on the east coast so i kind of worry about the guys who are abroad have to will likely quarantine for some period of time when they get here i mean the logistics of that are tough yeah even if they're not forced to quarantine like by the you know by by the united states if they're gonna be on a plane with lots of random people i mean you know you don't want to infect an entire team right Um, i mean i can't imagine that the that the agreements to come back and play won't include some kind of quarantine strategy for players who are flying from abroad. 
Yeah, and, and the nice, the good news is, it seems like the league and the players have been kind of on the same page in terms of the the actual health, public health aspects of, of reopening the league, and really it's just the money that they've been arguing over, which is good, right? I mean, that's one. That's how unions should work, right? That the unions should help to organize the shop in which they in, in which their 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 uh, uh, their members work in. Um, but uh, it also is just one less hurdle that we have to we have to worry about right now. Yeah. All right. So that is that is the current events news. We will obviously keep you up to date with this podcast. We will go back to weekly podcasts if um, a, once we actually have a deal in place. So once there's actual you know coming baseball to talk about, we can kind of start talking about all the stuff that we want to talk about. Um, uh, or at least all, all the stuff we normally talk about. I'm excited for what we're about to talk about. We are going to talk today about the 2015 Top 30 Yankees prospects. Um, this is five years after uh, after at least the start of the season uh, for, for these Top 30 prospects. Um, they are a fascinating group. Um, I think one of the most interesting prospect lists at the time. At the time, I think we recognized how interesting this was. And really, with a look back, I mean, just up and down this list is interesting. We are going on the River Rad Blues Top 30 Prospect List. Um, uh, uh, Mike Exces's uh, really excellent list right here. And he has said some really interesting things in here that were pretty prescient. Uh, so we're just going to go back and forth. We're going to talk about these players. And then, uh, you know, we're going to stop and pause and talk a little more about the most interesting players. So, Andy, start us off. Who is the number 30 prospect on this list? Uh, the number 30 was one of my favorite Yankee prospects, Slade yeah. Heathcott. I loved Slade Heathcott. I, I got to watch him play one time, and I just fell in love with his game. Um, so Mike Axisa says it all right here. I'm just going to throw out a couple of words that Axisa used to describe Slade Heathcott. Tools, Brett Gardner with power, quote unquote. And then as part of Axisa's list, I always love this, why he'll break your heart. And then the first <laughs> sentence is, gosh, hasn't he already? I mean, for me... He'll, at the very least, Heathcott will always have that walk-off homer against the Rays. I believe that was the 2017 season. Mm -hmm. I could I could yep. be wrong about that, but I believe it was 2017. And the I mean, he was just so much fun to watch. I mean, power, speed. I mean, you could you could just picture him roaming center field for 10 years, but in reality, he just got so banged up. Yeah, I mean, really a fascinating story, right? This is a guy who came out of uh, an abusive home. Um, he's a guy who um, the Yankees drafted and, and, and was, you know, a lot, a lot of teams weren't considering drafting him because of kind of some of his, his, his issues, his personal issues. Um, I got the sense when he was a prospect that everybody in the organization loved him um, yep. and wanted him to succeed. And, and this was not the case of any of those makeup issues coming true. I mean, Slade Heathcott was destroyed by injuries. Yeah, he really was. I mean, I know that early in his career, the Yankees did everything they could to get him some help just with some of the personal issues because they could tell he he was a guy who just needed a hand, that it wasn't that he was a bad makeup guy. He just got dealt a rough hand. But interesting, he's an interesting guy, though, even outside of baseball. There was a story about him very recently because he's a professional pilot now, and he was talking about how how much he thanks the Yankees for the life he has now. Really so. a great guy. Um, yeah, again, one of those guys I, I would have loved to see what he could have been without those injuries, and at least he made the majors. I, I'm, I'm very happy that Slade Heathcott got his couple of weeks in the majors, hit that big home run, 
you know, he has he has something to show for all of that career, and uh, and good for him. Yep. Um, I will fly in his plane if if uh, if he flies it. Um, Mason Williams, number twenty nine. Mason Williams was twenty three years old in twenty fifteen. He had formerly been I'm not sure if he was Exceeds' number one prospect ever, but someone who was always in the conversation for the elite Yankee prospects. Uh, by twenty fifteen, that was mostly passed. Um, it, it was mostly fairly clear that um, that Mason Williams was not going to be that player. He was one of those uh, the, before we they reformed the draft. One of those above slot guys. The Yankees drafted him in the fourth round. I forget how much money they gave him, but they gave him a, a big bonus um, in, or, in order to uh, keep him from going to, going to college uh, at a time when the Yankee the Yankee farm system was not elite. Um, it was it wasn't as bad as it was in the late two thousands, but this was twenty ten. The Yankee farm system really needed the Mason Williamses of the world to perform, and he was a guy who some. Sometimes really did perform in the minors, and I he was he was a guy that I early on thought was going to be success, successful due to strikeout to walk rate numbers. This is a guy who could hit the ball with authority, but not strike out a lot. Could walk a lot. Was still a really good defensive player. Still had a lot a, a lot of speed, and um, it just never really clicked. There was a point in time, in fact, probably in 2015 after the, this um, this ranking, um, where it looked like. Mason Williams was going to become a productive major league player. In that year, he hit uh, in 54 games. He hit 318, 397, 398 at AAA. Um, so not a lot of power, but really good contact numbers. Walked more than he struck out. I mean, looked like he could he could be a Brett Gardner type, or at least you know a, a low power but high on base center fielder. Um, he made the majors that year. I forget what happened that year, but he got injured, um, and, um, and and missed the rest of the year right after his call up. Yeah, he actually was pretty good in his call-up. He hit a home run, which is nice. Yeah, I remember it. It was in Baltimore. He All of a sudden, he came up, and it looked like he might fulfill some of his potential. Although, I, I thought about Mason Williams a little differently. He, When he got thicker, he worried me because I had always thought of him as a guy who, assuming that the walk and strikeout rates remained static as he moved through the minor leagues i always kind of figured mason williams's floor would be as a fourth outfielder you were really happy to have because he had a great arm and he was really good in the in the outfield and as he got thicker chasing power i felt like he became less interesting but i do think injuries Mm -hmm. played a part in the fact that he didn't fulfill his potential um, he's still kicking around the major leagues. The Yankees uh, either released him or DFA'd him. I forget which one. In 2017, he went to the Reds, uh, had a little bit of time there in the majors. He went to the, the Baltimore Orioles last year. Was actually pretty good at AAA, though everybody was. Um, made his way up to the majors for a couple of games, though, let's be honest. If you can't break the Baltimore 2019 Baltimore squad, you might not be that good. Um, but he's 27 years old, still kicking around. Good for him. Um, and Mason Williams, uh, thank you for the fond memories. Uh, number twenty-eight, Danny Burawa. Uh, Burawa, uh, one of the less less interesting names on this list. Yeah, but I mean, actually, it's kind of funny to see Danny. I had forgotten about Danny Burawa until I until I started looking into the twenty fifteen prospects list. But I think it's really interesting f- from a prospect philosophy perspective to look at a guy like Barawa because you could see the early seeds of the Yankees' philosophy with regards to pitchers because he was a guy who had big velocity, a sharp breaking ball, and he had no idea where it was going. 
Yeah, he's a guy who who like who if he's on if you he, if he was a prospect two years ago, like today he'd be the closer for the Padres. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I mean that, that's the way. I, that, that, it, it's amazing because you exactly you exactly quote like all of these players that were around at the time, and he was considered one of the better ones. And yet he he is one of the ones that didn't really pan out and didn't become that elite player, but he certainly had the stuff. Yeah, no, stuff was never an issue. But, you know, you can draw parallels to a lot of the guys that are in the Yankee system today. I mean, how different does Danny Barawa look than, say, Rowancy Contreras and Luis Gill? Just throwing out a couple of names that are all stuff and, well, hopefully control and command come eventually. Yeah, the, the one difference is he was older. Right. Um, and maybe that's why we should have we should have maybe been a little more skeptical at the time. Um, and, you know, older, you know, younger guy, no control, lots of stuff. You have some hope that he might... Uh, he might evolve a little bit of control, but uh, Barawa uh, was kind of kicking around as a college draft pick for a long time and didn't really do it. I want to move on, though, and talk about Thyro Estrada. He's still around. Yeah, I, I love Thero. Do you think Thero is – I apologize if I pronounced his name incorrectly. Do you think Thero is a long-term New York Yankee? Ooh, that's hard. You know full well that I'm like all in on Tyler Wade as being the Yankee super utility guy for the next. So you five, think Tyler five, Wade six. is better than Estrada? That's just it. I'm not sold that Wade is better than Estrada. I think Estrada lost some very key time in his development after the unfortunate gunshot wound that he sustained a couple of off seasons ago. So I worry about the lost season of development. I think he is a major league ball player, and I think he is. I think he has a nice long career for somebody. I don't know if it's with the Yankees because I think Tyler Wade's going to get the first shot this year. I mean, he's one of those players that wishes that the, the Rule 5 draft either kicked in earlier or the Yankees had fewer options because yep. I think he's going to be stuck between AAA for for a long time now. Um, and I don't th- I'm with you. I think I think he could be a starting second baseman for the Mariners. Easy. Like, yeah. I, like, like I, I think there's a, there's a dozen teams where he's a starting player. Um, and, and it's just too bad. So, uh, Thyro Estrada, we all know who he is. Number 26, tell me about Jason Shreve. <laughs> Jason Shreve. Exciting player. Well, uh, you know, for a little while, he actually was to Yankee fans because we forget in a small sample size, he had a couple of really good months when he came up as the lefty specialist after I'm trying, I'm blanking now on the trade that we acquired Shreve in. It was I'm, a, I'm looking it up real, real quickly while you talk there. Actually, it was Manny Benuelos. It was the Manny Benuelos deal. Yeah. That's that's what it was. It was with it. It was with Atlanta. It was when we finally gave up on Manny Benuelos. So Chase and Shreve came to the Yankees. He had a couple of big months as the lefty specialist, and I was at the doubleheader that the Yankees played against Toronto in 2016, and Shreve got shelled to the point where he just had his face in his glove at Yankee Stadium. I have never felt so bad for a pitcher as I did for Trace and Shreve, but the truth is he's had a nice little career for himself considering what he is as a reliever. 203 innings with a 3.71 ERA. It's 114 ERA plus, 10 strikeouts per nine, four and a half walks per nine. Um, you know, he's still sticking around a little bit. He uh, he had two innings with uh, with the, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals last uh, uh, last year. You know, for a guy with no stuff, I, you know, good for him. I I um uh, I'm glad I'm glad Chase and Treve is still around. I I, I agree with you that um, that we all probably should have seen it coming. Uh, do you know? Do you know where uh, what what trade uh, how, what what trade he exited the Yankees with? Oh, 
I used to the Luke Voigt. Gallegos trade. Yeah, yeah Luke Voigt. Uh, yep. Giovanni Gallegos, the closer for the St. Louis Cardinals, um, and, and one of the top ten closers in the game at the moment. Um, uh, I suspect that Jason Shreve was the headliner of that deal for the Cardinals. Um, <laughs> yeah, at the time he was because they. they tra- I thought the plan was to use him down the stretch of their playoff run. That was why they acquired him, and Gallegos was the throw-in. Yeah, and Gallegos is uh, is now uh, is now excellent. Uh, one of these uh, these episodes, if 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 the season doesn't start soon, we're going to be doing an episode on where are they now, Yankees relief prospects, um, because there's a lot of them, and uh, and I want them back. Uh, but we're going to move on and talk about Pretty Lale uh, or Lale. I don't know how you pronounce that name. Pretty Lale was a, a guy who I always thought was a left-handed pitcher because he wasn't that good, but he was still sticking around. He's not a left-handed pitcher; he's a right-handed pitcher. Um, you know, not, nothing. I look. I don't want to say anything bad about about him. He made the majors last year. He pitched two innings. wasn't very good. Um, wasn't particularly good at AAA last year. Uh, you know, didn't hasn't really pitched a lot of innings in a while. They kind of tried to convert him to a reliever. It didn't really work. Um, but just one of those guys that has been in the high minors for the Yankees for five years. We know who he is. Um, you know, there was some hope that he would turn into an ace reliever. Maybe the Yankees are kind of still trying to make that happen. Um, and maybe a, a short season with expanded rosters is, is a place where we could see some uh, uh, some of him in, in the majors. I, I think he's still with the organization. No, he's not. He signed this uh, this this uh, this offseason with the Chicago White Sox. So I wish him the best of luck, uh, but I don't think we need to discuss him any further. Let's talk about Leonardo Molina. Actually, he, Leonardo Molina was a really fun prospect. He had a lot of speed. He was young for every level he played at, but unfortunately, like... Many Yankee prospects, the injury bug caught him. He had a really nasty, I believe it was an ankle injury. I think yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, was he the sliding into second angle, a- ankle injury? That's what I... Rec- it was either sliding into second or he got caught up in a... As a catcher was blocking the plate as he slid feet first. <sighs> it was one of the yeah. two. There was one year, I forget what year, I think Leonardo Molina was ranked like the number three prospect in the system by Baseball Prospectus. Yep. And when, like, when, like his like age 17 season or his age 16 season just kind of came out of nowhere. No one had ever heard of the guy. And they're like, yeah, yeah he's the number three prospect. Uh, that was wrong, um, given uh, given not just the injuries, but given some of the other names that, uh, that were ranked behind him. Um, but, uh, you know, he is one of the players I think about every time I see some player like that as the new hype train, right? The new the new 17-year-old guy signed out of the Dominican Republic for a bunch of money who looks really good in batting practice or really good in, in the Dominican Summer League. And, like, I've just learned to pump the brakes on those guys. You know, maybe, maybe out of the 10, one becomes, like, a really great prospect. But I have no way of understanding which of those will be that, that, that one player. And and so I just kind of wait till they're in full season ball. Yeah, it, it's really hard. Because the other thing is the the noise in all of the rookie yeah. ball leagues, like the Dominican Summer League and the Gulf Coast leagues. I mean, you get to the point where if you're not cutting it in the Gulf Coast League and you're not absurdly young or have really loud tools that actually play on a baseball field, it it gets really hard to predict any success for those guys, at least in the non. Jason Dominguez division. Yeah, I mean, guys like Molina are good enough that the Yankees gave him a million, one point four million dollars, right? They're good enough to 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 get that kind of bonus at the at, at age sixteen. Um, he just, it just, you have no way, you know, no no one, not the Yankees, no one has any any way of telling which one is going to be 
uh, you know, the next really great prospect in which seven are going to never get above a ball. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I think he's still kicking around. Yeah, he's still he's still kind of in low A, not playing particularly well. Um, but, um, you know, still still a minor league baseball player. And uh, uh, and maybe maybe one day we'll hear from him. Number 23, Jose Ramirez. So Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez was – I don't know if I ever really believed he was going to be a really good relief pitcher. I, I mean, he, he always had a lot of stuff. He never had a lot of control. It's kind of a typical, you know that, – that, that's a fairly typical story. Um, but there, there was like a moment in time where it looked like Jose Ramirez might be, you know uh, – I, I don't even know which what, what player to compare him to, but might be a, a discount Adam Adovino or something. Yep, uh, actually the guy, the guy on the current Yankee roster, he always I would say is closer but less talented is Jonathan Loisaga because Jose Ramirez yep. was always banged up. There was always a lat injury. There was a lat pull. There was a structural issue with the shoulder. He had, and I I could be wrong. He may have gotten. Tommy John surgery that ended his Yankee tenure. I remember an elbow injury being the final nail. Yeah, I think it was something like that. I think it was this season too. Um, you know, I, he he ended up had, he he had a good career. I mean, he's still kind of still. I mean, he didn't play until 2019, but he had a couple of seasons with Atlanta with a three ERA in the threes. Um, he looks like an injury ended his 2018 season, so so maybe he'll be back eventually. He's 30 years old now. Um, yeah, still, still kicking around. You know, it's amazing how many players on this list are major league players. Yeah, that. Um, well, there are some fun ones as we go through guys who might still yet be very good major yeah, leaguers. And I want to get get through some of the non fun ones. So tell me about Ramon Flores. Ramon Flores, a guy that a lot of guys liked as a fourth outfielder and just flamed out when he got to the majors. Pure tweener. Yep. yep, exactly. He was he's the classic quad A player. He could hit a little bit and field a little bit, but the majors were just a too tall a task for him. In the in the independent leagues now, kind of still kicking around the the minor leagues and 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 trying to make a you know, make a name for himself, but is uh is is not really much of a of a story anymore. Next up, Angel Angular. Uh, you know, another one of those guys that you know. I, a lot of people got excited about Angel Aguilar at the time because you know he was a middle infielder who, who had you know had a really good rookie ball season and, and you know had had some tools. But of all of these kind of players, I don't know why we ranked him that high. Uh, and, and I want to you know pick out you know, you know um, um, pick on Exis's list. Like he was ranked in a lot of places, but there was never really anything exciting there. Like he wasn't a player that you you looked out and you said you thought was Leonardo Molina. Who could potentially be like a you know a, a one of the better play baseball players in the game? He was just like a guy who was like a like a young Latin American guy who wasn't bad, kind of kicking around the minors. Yeah, I mean he was a he was a decent fielder. He had some pop, but I remember that there were pitch recognition issues, and he seemed like the type of guy who might fill out the back of a bench. But I I admit that I agree with you. I never really understood the hype around Aguilar. All right, Abe Avellino. So this is one of the guys that I always thought was underrated. So in in fact, he was a spot above um, Aguilar on Axis's list, which I had forgotten. But most people talked. I remember at the time people talked about Aguilar and not Avellino. Avellino was a guy who, as he moved through the system, was just always he was a backup. He was holding the seat for somebody else as he moved through the minor league system, and now he's 
playing Major League Ball. He's getting a chance with the Giants, and he's done some decent things when he's gotten a chance to play. So he's a guy who can play the middle infield. He can play third base. He's a decent utility guy. Yeah, you know, I, I was shocked when he um, he popped up on my uh, my MLB the Show uh, uh, game, and all of a sudden it's like, oh wow, uh, Abby Avellino's around still. Um, yeah, I, I, one of those guys that a lot of people I think predicted might be like a, a bench player for the Yankees one day. Um, maybe he'll be a bench player now for the uh, uh, for the Giants. Uh, now we start to get into the top. We're in the top twenty, and I think almost every list name on this list below below here is interesting. Um, yet we are we are belaboring this, and so we're going to try to try to go fairly quickly. Jake Cave, uh, Jake Cave, um, still still in the major leagues, um, has actually I think been pretty good for the Minnesota Twins. Um, I remember Jake Cave because when he was drafted, there was this idea that um, still in the overslot bonus era that he he would only go to the Yankees. He was like the Yankees guy, and and if he didn't go to the Yankees, he was going to go to college. And the Yankees made everybody let everybody know this, and then they gave him eight hundred thousand dollars, and he signs. And he's pretty good in the minors for quite a long time, including in twenty fifteen. Though he hadn't really bro- he didn't really break out until a couple of years later. And um, he's a Rule Five pick. He's selected, and I believe then sent back. Um, and um, uh, yeah, he's selected by the Reds in 2016 and then sent back. And then they, they traded him to the Twins for Luis Gill, um, who is who's a prospect in his own right right now, but basically just a roster clearing space. Yep. I, I've, I'll bet you the Reds regret giving up Jake Cave. Yeah. I remember being floored when they returned him. I just assumed Jake Cave was going to be a Red and start in their outfield that year and be basically slightly better than replacement level in full-time play. Yeah, and, and you know the, the Reds had nothing to really lose. It amazes me that the teams don't take advantage of the Rule Five draft that that are that know they're not going to win um, a little bit more often. Um, you know, I remember thinking last year during the summer when the Yankees had everybody injured that they would kill to have J.K. back. Like, yeah, this this is the one that got away that they really are missing right now. Yeah, and I remember Jake Cave was uh, Jake Cave, I believe, broke his kneecap when he signed with the Yankees in like Yeah, he was out for like a year, I think, right? Yeah, Yeah, I remember him breaking his kneecap. So Jake Cave actually was a much more interesting prospect when because I believe most outlets graded him out around a sixty on speed and he wound up being average, which is why he wound up moving to the corners. But he he had he was one of those guys who's found a niche even post prospect type. So I'm pretty happy to see the cave still kicking around. Yeah, he's been really good for the Twins. I mean, everybody's been hitting for the Twins, so it's kind of hard to tell you know, if, the, if it's just like Twins magic. I um, mean, like if he would have hit a 112 OPS plus for the Yankees. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he certainly would have been, would have been a valuable player. And uh, um, he's been mostly a bench player to date, and, and I hope he gets a full-time job. He's only 26 years old. Yeah. Uh, Ty Hensley. This is a fun one. I mean, fun for all the wrong reasons, but this Ty Hensley was fun. Ty Hensley was a guy I remember – at when the Yankees drafted him, he was another guy. They drafted him at the end of the first round. He was a high school pitcher. They gave I was so happy. They I was so happy they drafted Ty Hensley. Yep, they he had a big curveball. That was the big thing. I remember everyone talking about his curveball, and I remember this was just as we were starting to get video of high school pitchers, like significant video. And I remember seeing his curveball and going, "Yup, that's the guy." 
and he's Phil Hughes all over again. Yep. He's you know he he's he's Garrett Cole all over again. That 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 was that was the meme at the time. I remember that clearly at the time. And then <laughs> and then and then what happened? Uh, the punch heard round the world happened. So for, well before the punch heard round the world, he had the Yankees found an abnormality in his shoulder, and they. So that was a problem, but then it wound up not being his shoulder that was an issue. He wound up having a hernia, and he had surgery on both hips. I remember he had a bad labrum in one hip, and I don't remember if it was a labrum in the other hip. But both, I mean, both hip labrums, yeah. It was both hip labrums. Okay. Yep. So I knew that. Uh, so that was ugly. And then during rehab, he just uh, he was attacked by I think it was a family friend that. The guy played semi-pro football or something, and I remember Hensley just uh, – you'd feel bad for the guy. We don't know the full story, but th- that was just horrible that he got attacked so badly, and he just was never, ever the same. I don't think he th- – I don't have the stats in front of me, but I don't even think he threw 150 innings in the Not Yankee even, system. Yeah, like- yeah, I didn't look look the stats up either, but he would throw like three innings and get injured. And and every year it was like, okay, Ty Hensley's coming back. Maybe there's a chance that you know we really see some of that great stuff. And it never really happened. Um, he ended up tearing his UCL, um, or I'm not sure if he tore his UCL. If there, I think there was like a weird thing going on with his UCL, but he still had to have Tommy John surgery, um, and then he needed a second Tommy John surgery. So oh. this is a guy who had who had two hip hip labrums. Two Tommy John surgeries. Show, like, I don't know if it was a shoulder surgery or if it was just a shoulder impingement that they were always worried about. Right. They found the um, shoulder injury and they, it, yeah. that wound up not being the problem. But And yeah. I just looked it up. He threw 42 and two-thirds innings in the Yankee system. Yeah. Um, so uh, a, a tragedy, uh, Ty Hensley, but um, – we're going to, going to move on. Number 17, Tyler Wade. We've already talked to him about, about him a little bit, so I'm going to skip him. Number 16, Austin Dakar. Is there anything interesting to say about Austin Dakar? He was another one of those overslot guys. He had he pitched well. He rare guy who was an older high school draft pick because he went he did like post grad at a prep school. So he had a decent fastball. He had some feel to pitch. He had a cup a good curveball and they were trying to work with his changeup but he really never developed from there he just uh, i don't know what i don't know what happened with dakar dakar was a guy a lot of people wasn't any good like i I think i think i remember he just was bad in the low minors and just like just fade away yeah exactly and but there were a lot of people who liked dakar without a lot of evidence and the yankees liked him enough that they gave him an overslot bonus in the third round but yeah ne- never made above above low a um you never only pitched 134 innings in the minors i think i think in hindsight now that we we we've just seen the yankees just have a dozen guys like austin Dakar just come to camp every year i think i think this is the player that we would not have ranked number 16 in hindsight i think today i think today he'd be a, a, a an honorable mention yeah today um, today is org yeah. yeah, and the other, I, th- I think that's actually a big part, a big, a big, um, a, a big way that that eliminating the signing, the the, the big signing bonuses has have changed things. Because a guy like Austin Dakar got a million dollar bonus, and so you go, oh, he's like almost like a second round pick. That's really great. Um, uh, and then you go, and then and then you realize underneath, you know, he was a credible threat to go to college, which is why he got the money, um, but isn't you know wasn't really um, uh, a, a player that that was that was of that caliber. Um, but let's move on and talk about Brian Mitchell. 
Uh, Brian Mitchell is, um, I believe, still uh, a major league player. He got traded to the San Diego uh, uh, Padres uh, a while ago. Again, one of those guys who was on the Yankee roster for a long time. Everybody knows who he is. Um, was arguably the worst pitcher in the major leagues in 2018. Uh, so not good. Um, I guess he's, he's not in the majors anymore. He spent all of 2019 in the minors with a 9 ERA. Um, I never understood why Brian Mitchell, a lot of people, not just Exisa, a lot of people thought Brian Mitchell was a good prospect. I just, he just never did anything. He was always sticking around the majors and just, he's like, he's like uh, Louis Sessa today. I never understood Brian, uh, Brian Mitchell. Frankly, Brian Mitchell would kill to have Louis Sessa's career. Brian, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, give me a paycheck. <laughs> but, and, but even think about it from a stuff perspective, Brian Mitchell I think it's probably likely that he had a high spin fastball because I don't remember Brian Mitchell being anything more than a guy who was 94 to 96 with the fastball, and he didn't have anything else. I mean, Exisa's, um prospect write-up on him talks about his curveball being a put-away pitch, but I don't remember the curveball being anything in no, in no. actual in actual games that I watched Brian Mitchell pitch in. In fact, he just had the fastball out of the bullpen, which was the whole problem. Moving on. Uh, so did Jacob Lingram's slider uh, make him a guaranteed major league reliever? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this more than anything else, maybe more than Cito Culver, I think this was one of the worst draft picks in modern Yankee history. So second-round pick in 2014, he was a left-handed college relief pitcher. Um, I, I mean, I, I think I think the, the thing I just said pretty much sums it up, right? He was the guy who everyone said, like, oh, he's just a major league radio relief pitcher in college right now. Draft him, and he'll be on your team tomorrow. I mean, the Yankees literally drafted him. The public perception, at least, was that they drafted him so that he'd be ready for the stretch run for the playoffs. Back when they were desperate for any any left hander in the in the bullpen, and exactly, they, and or just a warm blooded body that could throw with an ERA under four, that that was pretty much what we were looking at at the time. And Lingram looked like he could be that guy, but did I believe it was calcification of the so- shoulder? He just he never he didn't hardly ever reach ninety miles per hour after a guy who was sold as a low to mid nineties guy with a slider. Yeah, I mean he struck guys out. Um, there was a point in 2014 where it looked like he was like that was going to be the story. Um, you know, they they draft him and and he just basically starts rocketing up through the minors. He ends up in Double A. Uh, I believe he came down injured that season. Um, you know, before he even had a chance to do that. But even then, like the control wasn't very good. Um, like it, it didn't. I think it it was an entirely foreseeable um, uh, uh, failure. Uh, by the Yankees. It, it was very emblematic of the 2014 Yankees who were, this was a, this was like a, a beat up old team who was still kind of managing to stick together and, 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 and make the playoffs, but, or, or, or they thought they could make the playoffs. They didn't make the playoffs in 2014. Um, and, and so, you know, they were looking for that, that like desperate last piece to kind of help them in the playoffs, you know, one last time. Um, I think that team just didn't see the writing on the wall. Like they didn't realize that they, um, they probably should have just, you know, they, they, they should have just traded Robinson Cano and Hiroki Kuroda and started the rebuild process. Um, and, uh, and, and when you're, when you're not in that mindset, you don't, you, when you're in the mindset of the, the short-term mindset, you pick the, the low ceiling kind of in hindsight, very boring relief pitchers. 
Um, but but Lindgren had had his moment. Um, number thirteen, Rob Refsnyder. I thought Refsnyder was going to be a big deal. I loved him. I dude could hit like like, <laughs> I, like he. It seemed like Refsnyder was the Robinson Cano uh, replacement. He was a second baseman. He was kicking around the high minors for for a while. Um, you know that season you know, in 2014, he hit 320 with a 500 slugging percentage. Um, you know he he even almost to today can still hit AAA pitching, but he never hit major league pitching and he never learned to play a lick of defense. Like not not just not just like not a but not just like bad out there. Like he was one of the worst defensive players in the organization. Um, and in hindsight, that that's a lesson I have learned from Ref Snyder. That if you don't have a position, you're not a major league player. Do you remember the spring that they tried him at third base, and we all decided that that was how Ref Snyder was going yep. to make his major league debut? Was at third base, yep. and when he nearly broke his nose on the first three ground balls, I think we kind of began to figure out maybe the Yankees were right. <laughs> yeah, just no no instincts. Um, guy hit three thirty three, four sixty seven, five uh, five forty two for the Rangers in spring training this year. So maybe there's hope for him. Um, no, not a good, you know, if he could, if he could hit like he did at AAA, he'd be a DH and be a fine DH. Um, but you know, he they the the Blue Jays, the the Yankees traded him to the Blue Jays. I forget in what deal. Maybe the maybe it was the um, the Hap deal. I forget what what deal the the, the Yankees. I traded don't know. The, well, Billy McKinney went in that deal. I don't oh, think Ref Snyder was in yeah, that he, deal. Either way, they traded him, and um, you know they, they tried him in the outfield. I don't think that really worked out very well. Um, but Ref Snyder still kicking around. Uh, Eric Jag, I can't pronounce his name. Jagiello. Yeah, Hiello. Hiello. Yeah. So Eric Hiello. He's uh, first round pick. Tell us about him. He's a fascinating guy. Remember, this is the guy the Yankees drafted ahead of Aaron Judge. Really, it's kind of meaningless, but they thought highly enough of Hiello that. They drafted him ahead of the guy who is now our lord and savior in right field. But Eric Hiello was the, a can't-miss prospect. Eric Hiello was a power bat at third base. He was likely to stick at third base because of a big arm. He didn't have a ton of range, but it looked like he'd stick at third because his hands were good, arm was good, and it always looked like he'd hit. And through 2014, he did hit, and all of a sudden, whether it was due to injury or whatever the case was, he stopped hitting and his history, I mean, we still see playing out today because Eric Aiello was part uh, part of the package that netted the Yankees or Aldis Chapman when, you know, they leveraged domestic violence to get Chapman on the cheap. Yeah, the, the Yankees' finest moment. Uh, the the um he was a player who fell to the Yankees in the late first round. And I remember thinking, this like this is this is like the best first round draft pick we've had in a long time. Because he was just so conventional. He was a Notre Dame hitter who everybody thought was really good, who, you know, played third base and at the time the Yankees, you know, kinda of were seeing Alex Rodriguez's career wind down and so we you know, you knew that you were gonna have to have somebody play third base. Um he he just felt like he, he just felt like a like a normal team's first round pick prospect. And the Yankees have had so few of those over the years. Um, and then, you know, he, he was he was good enough to earn the trade. He wasn't great. You know, there, there were you know, he, he made up the double A before the trade, you know, he was he had like an eight forty OPS. Um, but you know, he, he was a he was like a real loss in that trade. Like you felt the loss of Eric uh, Eric Aiello, um when 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 you went to get Araldus Chapman. 
Um, I think a great example of prospects of like a prospect that looks like they're going to be a, a good enough player to be a trade chip and not a star. I think the, that's the kind of player the Yankees should be trading um, because sometimes they turn out like a star and sometimes they turn out like 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 uh, Hayelo. Yep. And and become become nothing. Well, they did it with Eric Hayelo and they did it again with um, and of course his name right just Blake Rutherford. All right. Well, speaking of domestic violence, Domingo Herman, number 11, uh, moving on. Tyler Austin, number 10. So Tyler Austin. I love Tyler Austin. I, I, I also thought Tyler Austin was going to be a star. Yep. I, I loved him. I I kept looking at it saying he can fake it in the outfield. He plays first base. There was a non-zero chance that he could stick at third. And I always watched this guy when he was healthy and said, he's going to hit. There's no question in my mind, but Tyler Austin is going to hit, and he has for brief stretches in the major leagues, but he just really, whether it's because of the injuries finally got to him, I mean, he hurt his wrists a couple of times, but he really hasn't found a a spot where he could stick in the majors. I I thought I read recently that he's going to play overseas this season. That he was going to play. Oh, in. really? Yeah, I think I think I remember that. And, and and that he seems like the kind of player who's going to we're going to find out hit like forty five home runs in Korea. Yep. Um, I, I I remember so twenty two thousand eleven. Tyler Austin is is in the low minors, and he has one of these just crazy good seasons. He hits three fifty four, four eighteen, five seventy nine. He follows it up in twenty twelve. Hits three twenty two, four hundred, five fifty nine. At the time, the Yankee farm system was not very good. Um, and we let one stat fool us into thinking that Tyler Austin was a future star. Do you remember what that stat? Do, do, can you guess? Do you remember what why why we all thought Tyler Austin was amazing? Didn't he have a hundred RBIs? Well, he 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 had a ton of RBIs. He had eighty RBIs in one hundred and ten games, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I remember that being a thing. But for me, it was stolen bases. Oh God, I forgot about that. He had stolen bases in the low minors. I totally yeah, he had a ton of steals in the low minors and didn't get caught. And everybody in the world was like, "He's a baseball sense guy, right? He, he's just, <laughs> he just got a high baseball IQ, which is why all of a sudden a guy who doesn't have particularly great tools is slugging nine, you know, nine uh, is, is OPSing nine fifty, who is um, is just playing well above what everybody expected of him, um, and then he gets injured." He has about two seasons where he's kind of off and on with some injuries. He's not very good. Um, he has kind of a comeback season of like many years later in 2016. That's what brings him up to the majors. Um, he's only 24, so we're all like, okay, this this is it. This is the guy to replace Mark Teixeira. He can play first base. He can play it in the outfield. Um, and, uh, and, and he has the moment. He has the Aaron Judge moment. <laughs> Where Aaron Judge, so Aaron Judge and Tyler Austin make their major league debuts in the same game right after Alex Rodriguez was released. I think Mark Teixeira may have been released or still on the team at the time. I forget the exact exact order of events. Gary Sanchez had been been called up a few months earlier, and uh, and Tyler Austin and Aaron Judge go back to back in their first game. It might have been their first at bat too, if I remember correctly. Uh, um, yeah, that was correct. First at bat. Oh, I'll never forget that. <laughs> but but the reaction was like it, and it, and 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 the skies have opened up, and the Yankees are reborn um, <laughs> because of Aaron Judge and Tyler Austin, right? Yep. And and at the time, we didn't know which of those would be uh, would be the savior, and which of those would uh, would be. Uh, on the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, and uh, and uh, Aaron Judge was the savior. Tyler Austin was on the Milwaukee Brewers, but was a guy who was just just like a story for the longest time. And and when Exesa writes why he'll break your heart on his prospect list, I mean this is the this is like one of those examples of a guy who 
who just who who you had such high hopes for and he just broke your heart yep and uh, i also think it's funny to note on the day that they went back to back i think it would have been pretty close to a 50 50 split in terms of who's going to be a yankee and who's going to play for the brewers a 50 50 split of yankee fans who would have picked judge and tyler austin i agree um we're going to talk about aaron judge soon uh, number nine, the starting center fielder for the New York Yankees, John Ryan Murphy. <laughs> John, John Ryan. Ryan Murphy was a catcher. He was a backup catcher. He was a really good backup catcher, but the Yankees had Austin Romine and Gary Sanchez, and John Ryan Murphy just wasn't all that good, so we traded him for Aaron Hicks. Moving on. Jorge Mateo, number eight. Is Jorge Mateo... <laughs> Do you think Jorge Mateo still has a shot at being a major league player? You know, the joke of the century is with expanded rosters, I actually think he might make the A's team this year because he's hanging around as in the high minors like he might break through eventually i think now he's they're kind of toying with the idea of finally putting him in center field i think that's kind of the deal now why that took so long i don't understand. oh no it was to me it was pretty clear that he didn't have the feel for shortstop once he got to, to me it doesn't a. matter he's like the third fastest guy in the minors you play him in center field yeah yeah, yeah. Like, okay yeah. we Billy Hamilton was moved up, moved, moved from shortstop too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll give you that. The other thing, well, the thing about Billy Hamilton, he didn't have that have a great arm. Mateo had a decent enough arm to stick at shortstop, so I understood why they left him there for his, at least the Yankees left him there. By the time he went to the A's, I don't understand not playing him. Constant himself. heartbreak, but last year at AAA, he had an 830 OPS, and he's one of those guys that, you know, if he's, um, you know, he's only 25 years old, you know, if he can pull off a 730 OPS. He's a major league player. Easy. Not even, not even, not even that, that difficult to, to imagine. Yeah. Number seven, the first of the big names, Miguel Andujar. Uh, we all know who he is. I don't want to go into too much detail about him. I want to ask you, do you think Miguel Andujar is an important part of the 2020 Yankees? As in, is he starting almost every game? Yes, I do. I think the bat is real. And I also think... I, Believe it or not, I am in the minority that thinks he might really be able to play left field. Okay, you know he's he's fast enough for it, which which is which is notable. I think he's the guy who benefits from expanded rosters more than anybody else. Yep. We, when we were talking about him, especially before all the injuries in late spring training, like there was just no spot on the roster for Miguel Andujar, even if he could hit. Like there's just no way to play him. Right? He's not playing third base. The Yankees have a loaded outfield. They got like four guys who can play first base. Like like it's just not going to happen. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and 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 now if there's a 30-man roster, Mikael Andujar, easy major league player. Oh, 100. percent I think uh, I was one of the guys who said you could f- squeeze away into finding him 300 at bats until he played his way into more playing time. But uh, I agree, it would have been tough without injuries, and I think expanded rosters helps him immensely. All right, Luis Torrens, number six. So, other than the fact that he has health care for life. This is a prospect I feel really, really bad for. He was the... uh, I don't know. Would you agree with this one? I think he was one of the most surprising Rule 5 draft picks I've ever seen. He had 48 plate appearances in low A. Yep. I just... And more importantly... As a catcher. As an 18-year-old catcher. More importantly, he stuck the... Padres stuffed him onto that roster for the entire season. I believe he even got 100 plate appearances he did terribly at the plate but he was always lauded for his ability to play behind the plate he had a good arm moved well called a good game and 
the truth is he's still an interesting prospect. He's I think the jury's still out. I Torrent Luis Torrens. I mean Luis Torrens might catcher, that's normal. He might still be a second division regular just because I mean there's no depth at catcher across the league when you really start digging into it. So is he somebody who could be a second division starter as a defensive defense first guy? He might be. I think the Yankees were upset to lose him. I mean, he was he was a converted catcher too. That's what kills me, right? Like he he had like a year of catching, and all of a sudden the San Diego Padres are like, "You're in the majors. Like have fun, nineteen year old kid." <laughs> I, I I mean, it, it's a ballsy move by by San Diego. Like honestly, um, we we talked about this early in the podcast. Like I think teams should do that more often. I just I don't understand why Major League Baseball lets a player like Luis Torrens be be exposed. Yep. Right, like there's no, like there's no, like you you have the rule five draft so that one some some players who've been sticking around the minors have a shot at some other teams, um, and to you know prevent teams from hoarding players. But no one's hoarding an eighteen year old converted catcher. Um, you know he he was a sixteen year old signee out 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 of Venezuela. So I think I think he was this was like his third season technically. So after his third season, you 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 let him um, you, uh, you you expose him. Um, but like that makes sense for a college player. It does not make sense for a Dominican player. Yeah, or I player. think he was twenty one when he got picked up. But the point is the same. Oh yeah, I mean like it, it, oh really? Who's older? Oh, I guess I'm I'm I got my my years messed up. Yes, you're right. I have my my years messed up. You are correct. Still only 21, 21 Did not have any significant playing time. Um, should not have been exp- the Yankees should not have protected him. There's no way you can add that guy to the 40 man roster because no. it's years before he's going to be ready. It's three years later and he's still not ready, um, as expected with a catcher, especially one that just just has his development interrupted like that. Um, but last year, you know, it, at Double A, hit 300, 373, 500, and that's with the old baseball. Yep, that's not with the the Triple A ball. That's the Double A ball. Yeah, it, it may be the um, Texas League, which is an offense heavy league, but that's that's still good performance for a catcher. And he got another cup of coffee in the majors. And and the Texas League is not the PCL either. Yep. Right, like the that's Texas fair. League, you know, is is a, is a is a hitter friendly league, but not an absurd league. So yeah, Luis Torrens. I yeah, I'm with you. I feel really bad for him. I I don't really feel really bad for him. The guy got called up to be a major league player. At, you know. Well, well before his time so like good for him like if the Padres want to call me up too they can call me up <laughs> um, but um, uh, but yeah I, I'm with you I think I think his career could have played out very differently and I think he could be uh, right now in conversation to maybe like push Gary Sanchez to first base I don't know if I'd go that in, far in that but uh, I, I see where you're going with it I, I mean, I, he he was a he was. I mean, this is a guy who was the number six prospect as, as an eighteen year old catcher yep. on this list, right? So uh, there was a lot of people who who were pointing to him as the next big thing, and he could have been. Yep, that's why he got that's why he got selected a couple years later. Number five, Greg Bird. <sighs> if Greg Bird was healthy, do you think he is he is the starting catcher, uh, first baseman? This year for the Yankees, I think he's a DH because I was never convinced that he was actually good enough defensively to play first base, which is saying something. But I think he could really hit. I think the between the the lower body injuries, specifically the ankle and the foot, and the the initial shoulder injury, I think it really destroyed Greg Bird. I I do think he could hit. Very almost nobody doubted that Greg Bird could hit. I mean, later on in this season, after he was ranked you know, uh, this high, I mean, this is the season that he came up in 2015 and, and looked like the next big thing. 
Um, yeah, uh, Greg Bird, one of those tragedies, another player that I wish I wish uh, could have been better. Um, why did we rank Ian Clark in so high for so many years? He was another guy. He uh, he had feel for three pitches. That was the big deal. Most guys you say, hey, maybe if he learns a third pitch and has some command, he had some of those things. He had the – Ian Clarkin had the curveball you and I wanted Ty Hensley to have. And I, th- yep. and I think that helped. He was never a, a light-up-the-radar-gun guy. And then he had Tommy John surgery. And despite popular belief, when you have Tommy John surgery, it's not a sure thing that you come back. And he came back as an 88-90 to 90 guy, not a 90-94 to 94 guy. So that changed his profile significantly. The Yankees did the right thing, including him in the deal that netted us uh, Tommy Canely and yeah. Robertson. But... No, I agree. I, 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 another one of those guys in hindsight that I, I think I should have known. I think we got all wrapped up in Andy Pettit comparisons. Yep, I think that's um, fair. Which is a, such a lazy comparison because it's not like Clarkin barely threw a cutter, um, and and and, um, and and Andy Pettit, like although he was a light throwing lefty with control, like like the the cutter was what made him that good, um, and. Uh, that's why we ranked him highly, and in, in, in hindsight, like there just wasn't a lot of stuff there. And maybe, maybe these days we just appreciate guys who throw in the high nineties better than than we used to. Um, but you know, I guess we should have always seen that this guy was this guy never had you know really good first division major league stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, Gary Sanchez. Uh, this is peak prospect fatigue, Gary Sanchez. Um, he had just come come off a not very good season at AAA. Uh, I think he had one more season at this point of kind of kind of uh, hanging around the high minors before he breaks into the major leagues. Um, I don't have much more to say about Gary Sanchez. Do you think Gary Sanchez will ever put together that like I'm not gonna say MVP, but Silver Slugger, you know, you know, complete season where he's worth seven wins? I'm still on the bandwagon. Uh, I'm still there. I-, I love Gary Sanchez. I, I think. I think he he keeps whenever he gets hot he's gotten derailed by an injury, and I think if the Yankees can finally put a backup catcher behind him, not him they haven't this year, but a backup catcher behind him that can credibly give him time off, I think Gary Sanchez could be like a, a catcher DH type and, and kind of transition to that second phase of his career where he probably is playing first base, um, and could be just that good. Yep. Um, uh, and the truth is, I actually think Gary Sanchez is a better catcher than people give him credit for. I just need to play. I, I agree. I just think injuries are the problem. Yep. I, I right. agree with that also. Um, Luis Severino, number two. Uh, I remember, I think I remember at the time thinking that Aaron Judge is ranked number one. Uh, that that was a that was an over an overreach. And the judge should have been a few shots down. And I thought Luis Severino was was the number one pitcher player. Now, I mean, you, they're both amazing and were great, you know, great outcomes for prospects. Um, but do you, do you remember why everyone thought Luis Severino might not be as good as his stats and, and stuff indicated? I, I'll be honest with you. I don't remember why anyone picked judge over Severino at this time. I love the it, it fact was, that Severino's primary secondary offering was a changeup. I thought that was the it coolest was, thing. It was it was Keith Law. It was entirely Keith Law's fault. Oh, right, so, because he had the thing with right? uh, Severino's delivery, which may or may not have proven correct in some way, shape, or form in terms of keeping him healthy. But 
I mean, look, I think, I think, I think Severino had two seasons where he was basically a full-time deep inning relief, uh, you know, starting pitcher. I don't think Keith Law basically said he doesn't throw with his legs enough. He's a relief pitcher. There's no way he can go deep into games and keep his control, and he's going to be injured before you know before he's a, re- a full-time major league player. Severino did get injured, but like every pitcher gets injured, so like that, that's not necessarily proof of that Keith Law was right. Um, but I just remember at the time, everyone's looking at this guy's stat line, looking at a guy who throws 100, you know, looking at, um, uh, you know, just, just like a perfect, a perfect starting pitcher in so many ways and going, oh, no, no, this guy, this, you know, Keith Law said that he can't, he can't start, can't start. Um, you know, I, we were wrong. I am looking forward to Luis Severino coming back um, after this season. Um, hopefully he'll be back for the start of the 2021 season. And, uh, um, you know, I, I just, I just, I just remember it was just, it was the one, it was like the Keith Law paragraph that killed the prospect ranking. Um, that was Luis Severino at the time. Number one, Aaron Judge. This was a ball, this was a great call by Exisa. It was at the time, I think, a, a little bit of a, of a, he was the, Exisa was the outlier in Aaron Judge. A lot of, a lot of, you know, baseball America types thought that Aaron Judge was the number seven, number eight, number nine Yankee prospect. Why? Why? What changed? Why do you think Aaron Judge was 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 not? We, we couldn't see how great Aaron Judge was, except for Mike Mike Cisa. So I think it was a couple of things. Number one, we know what kind of prodigious power that Aaron Judge has now. And to be fair, most outlets credited him with top of the scale raw power. But in terms of game power, the, a lot of outlets did not think that he would be able to get to it reliably in games and in fact in his early career in the yankee minor leagues he really didn't hit for overwhelming power his power was good it wasn't overwhelming the other big thing that people were worried about was the strikeout rate he was he had such a big strike zone i think that most prospect outlets were very worried about what was going to happen to Aaron Judge when he got to the high minors. That those low twenty, you know, the low twenties K percentages were going to shoot up over thirty percent, and that was just going to take him from an interesting prospect to a non-major league player. He he was the player that never that didn't do it till he did it in the majors. Yep, and he did it in the majors by being the second MVP you know, vote in, in the rookie of the year. Um, hitting 52 home runs. I mean, like, I, 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 as a Yankee prospect fan at the time, I thought Aaron Judge was, you know, um, uh, a guy who had hit, who was at best, at best Adam Dunn. Like, that, that would be, that was like my dream scenario. Aaron Judge would be the guy who finally puts the batting practice into games, but still strikes out a billion times and bats, you know, 220. And you know, and, and hits those big home runs because you got you you got these like reports. And this is back. I, I never saw I never, never saw any of this video, but you got these reports from people like you know. I think they were probably on Twitter at the time saying, "Listen, Aaron Judge, his batting practice is insane. Like he's hitting 460 foot home runs. Like it's nothing in batting practice. Like this guy has it. He has 80 raw power. Like it's gonna show up eventually in games. And like I just didn't believe it. I was just like, yeah, okay, like." It's like I've heard, I've heard that story before. Show you know, like, tell me when he hits thirty home runs in the in, in in the minors. This is a guy who never slugged above five hundred in the minors. He he hit seventeen, twenty, and nineteen home runs in, in short seasons. So, you know, you know, so so you know, there was power there. 
um, but just didn't didn't stand out. Like he 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 didn't look like the next John Carlos Stanton and, until he was until the day he was the first day of spring training in twenty seventeen, and then all of a sudden. He's the best player in the Yankees. But there was also fatigue because so many people compared him to John Carlos Stanton. Yeah. And when Exisa ranked him number Stanton one. Stanton won the MVP that year. Well, exactly. <laughs> and the, before, and yeah. that was just it. I remember when he was 22 and Exisa ranked him number one, people said when they compared him to Stanton, they said at age 22, John Carlos Stanton was already a bona fide major league player and a good major leaguer. Aaron Judge is still... We still don't know what Aaron Judge is going to be. So I kind of wonder, he was almost, people had Aaron Judge fatigue before they had even considered him as a prospect just because of the Giancarlo Stanton comparison. Um, and uh, and now he's one of the fun, most fun players to watch in the game. So yeah. uh, I, I, good job, Exisa, ranking him number one. Um, you, he that, that was at the time a, a pretty pretty impressive move. Uh, or given given the information we had at the time, it's pretty impressive. Andy, we have gone an hour and 12 minutes, the longest episode of this podcast in forever. Uh, so I'm just going to thank you. I'm going to thank everybody who is still listening. This has been fun. Um, again, we will go back to weekly episodes if and when we get a season. Uh, but if not, I will see you in two weeks uh, where we will be discussing the trades that got us Aaron Judge. So we will be discussing the trades all the way from uh, Ruben Rivera, uh, signed in 1990, the uninterrupted line of trades that eventually result in a draft pick that is Aaron Judge. I'm very excited about that podcast episode. If you're still listening right now, so are you. Andy, thank you for joining me. Everybody, thank you for listening. This has been the Bronx Beat Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 